Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, February 12th, 2023. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felish and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. So, Peter, I have two (laughs) things that I want to remember to talk about this week. Uh Uh-huh. First thing, of course, is that coming up just a mere seven days from now on February 19th mm-hmm. at 4 p.m. at Theater 555, mm-hmm. we're going to have Pete's Theatrical Adventures where you will be pulling random cards like the Amazing Kreskin. <laughs> like <that>. so, <laughs> Peter, tell us about this. Well, uh, it's based on a show that Spalding Gray used to do. Um, He used to sit at the table, pull cards that had names of plays on it, plays he'd been in, plays he directed, plays he'd seen. I thought it was a great idea, and um, I kept on urging him to do the show, but then he died. And so I thought, uh, well, let me take the mantle and do it with my own experiences of the 12,500 shows that I've seen. Needless to say, uh, I don't have 12,500 cards because a lot of those shows weren't memorable for one reason or another. But um, I do have a number of stories that uh, I, I think are worth hearing, be they amusing. They're not all funny. Some of them are poignant. Some of them are sad. But nevertheless, um, I have had a lot of theatrical adventures over the years, over the decades, many decades. And so um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I have to say that I'm, I'm delighted how many people are um, interested in coming, especially people from out of town. Yes, um, uh, <laughs> I heard from a community theater actress in Vermont who's coming. So uh, that's really nice, too. So anyway, it's free. You know, I mean, really free, 90 minutes uh, in and out. And um, I, I hope that I'll uh, be able to shake hands with so many people who have been listening to these podcasts and uh, putting faces to names and names to faces, et cetera, et cetera. So the second thing I wanted to mention is that uh, although we do have our our usual Sunday morning rendezvous here, mm-hmm. sometimes my week is just not complete with enough Felicia. Oh and <laughs> and this week was yeah. especially good because I saw your column over at Masterworks Broadway, the Sondheim deserved a better finale. Uh, so tell us about this column because I, I, I encourage everybody to get over to Masterworks Broadway to check it out. Well, good Lord. I mean, I can't believe that this writer, uh, D.T. Max, went into this interview with Sondheim and wound up doing five interactions with him. And seemed to be so ill-prepared. I was amazed yeah. that at the third interview, he said, when were you a teenager? And I mean, to so many of us, you know, March 22nd is a national holiday. Um, you know, and we know 1930 is when he was born. So I, I, I would just think after that first interview that he would be so embarrassed that he came across as so... Um, ill-prepared and ignorant that he would have really said, ah, I'm doing nothing now for the next three weeks, uh, but reading everything I can about Sondheim. And it just didn't happen. Alan Gomberg, um, Alan Scott on um, all that chat, uh, one of our greatest musical theater minds, good Lord, is he smart and knowledgeable, uh, said that he it wouldn't have occurred to him to uh, ask a question that I would have asked. But, you know, what was it like uh, on September 22nd, 1965, 
when indeed he went to a, a party celebrating the first anniversary of Fiddler on the Roof, the first of um, six or seven anniversaries that Fiddler would have. And the thing was, that was the same week that Do I Hear a Waltz was closing. And this was such a disappointment to him because indeed um, here he was supposed to be working with the greatest composer of all time, Richard Rogers, and it didn't work out though. I think the score is fabulous, uh, but that's another story. But anyway, what was it like when Richard Rogers was flying high? Don't forget 65 is when the sound of music movie came out and ostensibly Rogers wrote two songs for it. We hear different stories now about um, one of those songs anyway, but, but still, you know, what was it like to be at that party produced by Harold, uh, Philip produced by Harold, Prince, who produced Funny Thing Happened, for which Sondheim um, provided the, the entire score for the first time on Broadway and didn't get much acclaim for it and didn't even get a Tony nomination. And what was it like? He wouldn't have another show on Broadway for 55 months when company opened. Did he doubt himself? Did he think I'm all through? Did he think, um, <laughs> to quote a future Sondheim lyric, they will understand it later? Who knows? Hmm. But the thing is that um, yeah, this guy just didn't know very much about him. And um, it's it's pretty embarrassing to see what happened. I feel bad because he's a good writer. He has style in the way he writes. He has wonderful perceptions outside this uh, area of non-expertise. So um, I wouldn't hesitate to read something else that he wrote and get another book of his where he does know what's going on. But this is really quite a sad, 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 sad book under the circumstances. All right. So Peter's column, Sondheim Deserved a Better Finale, can be found over at Masterworks Broadway. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Thanks. So also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello, uh, do you remember a couple of years ago we went through a uh, uh, we went through a period of time where it seemed like every actor and actress had three names like Mary Louise Parker? Yeah, sure. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes. That Why do you bring still, that up? Yeah. It's still happening. Yeah, because cast album reviews and follow spot photo. I I I think that you were onto a trend long before and everybody else, Michael. <laughs> You're a trend maker. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, yeah, they're not proper names, but that's a good point. <laughs> In my mind, I capitalize them. Um, right. On that note, uh, I, I mentioned that Charles Kirsch um, has yeah. joined our team. Uh, and uh, so he started. And then also we're trying to do catch up. And Matt Koplick, who also, oh, um, yeah. um, he has written some stuff recently, including uh, – he reviewed the new funny girl with Leah Michelle. And then I said, you know, if you have a chance, could you also do the one with Sheridan Smith, the London album? So he did that one. So now we have mm -hmm. both of those up uh, to fill that gap. But there's so much, as I mentioned recently, uh, it's, it seemed like the floodgates opened after the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so many that we still have to get to, but we'll, you know, we will. We'll. Absolutely. You know, uh, what is it? The uh, early bird catches the worm. No, it's the what's the turtle when the turtle <laughs> continues to move, march on and on. <laughs> and I, actually, and they this, live a long time. Yeah, <laughs> this might be a good time to mention that. Uh, speaking of cast albums, that tomorrow night yeah, there yeah, is yeah. a 
cast out an event for the cast album release uh, of the ba- the new baby cast album the that off Broadway production and uh, is that the one with Alice Ripley or not which, Alice which... Julia Murney well yeah, Julia Alice yeah. wait was she in it and then she wasn't in it I I didn't see it did you see that, that oh, that rings a bell I did see it by the way yes indeed uh, yeah. it was quite it was quite a fine production in a very very tiny space not that that hurts baby at all baby is a terribly underrated musical oh good yeah. lord it does so much that is so right and the lyrics um by Richard Mulvey are really sensational especially uh in the fatherhood blues where he talks about the fact that um you know you, you might um not be so happy that a kid's coming for a number of reasons but there is some sort of male pride that takes over that you can do it, uh, that you can um, certainly uh, have a child, um, that you're responsible for that. And uh, that's uh, and easier to love. What a uh, good mm. Lord. Uh, what a great idea for a song that uh, kids are easier to love for certain reasons, um, at least for a while. As Nell Benjamin said, your kids will love you for years and then he'll turn three. So uh, that's true, too. But uh, anyway, Baby is a wonderful, wonderful musical. And um, I, I really believe that a original production was scuttled by the set design mm. there, were, there were curtains that was so loud they kept on being pulled over and mm. over and so um I, I really think that hurt it tremendously but it's a very very good musical well last monday uh peter and i attended the cleban uh awards uh, ceremony the cleban prize ceremony which mm-hmm. we'll talk about more in a moment but um, i'll bring it up now because richard maltby was there yeah indeed. and and i got to speak with him and i told him how much i loved this new cast album and he lit up and he said uh, and i said to him you know i have to say i didn't expect much because i know it was a very small production and i only knew one person in the cast and blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. and uh and i also didn't say this to him but i i said something like i didn't know how how the show would hold up because in in some ways it's it's dated in terms of the references and things like that. Uh, but anyway, he said, well, he said he didn't expect anything either, only because um, the the recording was apparently a little difficult with people not being able to be there at the same time and 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 having to do it in little bits and pieces. And he just didn't think it was all going to come together. So he was really thrilled about it also. And it's an absolutely fantastic recording. The the. Um, the updates to the lyrics are very, very smart. Uh, you know, I mean, they they update them just enough so that there there are not obscure references anymore, and 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 also, but then there are other major updates in the like one of the couples is now a same sex couple of uh, 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 two lesbians who are having a baby. Uh, so that's pretty big. But I I just loved this when I heard it. And it, uh, mm-hmm. the album has a full orchestra, even though this show, the production mm-hmm. did not, the out-of-the-box mm-hmm. production, when they did it off-Broadway in a very small space. Very so cool. I um, so I urge you to get the album. And also, if, you, if you're free tomorrow night at 7 at the Green Room 42, they are having this uh, this performance you know to celebrate the release of the cast album and i i checked and there are still tickets available quite reasonably priced so you might want to check that out um michael and i michael and i set the record at the cleveland awards for being the first two people with the chafing dishes um yes you mentioned that (laughs) and then you also chastised me for 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 having a glass of wine not chastising at all enjoy yourself (laughs) 
<laughs> but boy, we couldn't wait to get to that food. I'll tell you anyway. Well, there was so much, and, and they was. said that, the, and they said that the the program wasn't going to start for a while. And, That's right. So, and I didn't want to eat during the program. No, so, that yeah. would be rude. Yes, yeah, so no. we got it all done beforehand. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I did a little bit of reconnaissance here. Uh, so it is the out of the box theatrical production that originally starred. Uh, uh, originally starred Alice Ripley as Arlene, but now has Julia Murney singing the role on the uh, album release. Uh, so, yeah, so that is the one that's coming up that we were just talking about. Oh, so, so Alice did actually do the, the whole yeah. show, and then but then she was replaced for the recording? I don't know, replaced for the recording, or if that Julia replaced during the run of the show. Uh, okay. I, I don't know those details, but Alice did start... With out of the box theatricals uh, production, okay. baby. Yeah. So yeah. Julia Murray uh, was doing it when I saw it. So um, you had mentioned uh, during our uh, quick discussion of cast album reviews that uh, that you're reviewing Funny Girl, and Leah Michelle has hit the talk show circuit. I mean, she's doing major uh-huh. media. Oh, really? Uh, major media. All the the. Tonight Show and and various different other major network broadcasts and and talking about uh, and talking about uh, um, Funny Girl and her experience and the recording and things like that. So it's really been uh, it's really been something. And then she poked a lot of fun at herself this week by um, uh, Barbara Streisand's memoirs are coming out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, right. And uh, yeah. there was this. Uh, uh, this backstage dirty talk about Leah Michelle doesn't know how to read, and so oh, Leah right. Michelle post, posted on social media. She was, "I have 243 days to learn how to read." <laughs> so, no, but uh, but actually, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of guessing that there's going to be an audio book, so she'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a last thousand thing, pages, right? A thousand pages. I've heard. Oh, I didn't hear I, how many pages, but sure. One I mean, can only imagine what that book is going to be like. It's got 300 pages on Richard J. Alexander alone. So, <laughs> so all right. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention this morning is that uh, Jan Simpson's podcast series, All the Drama, the newest one, was released to the public uh, yesterday. Uh, this one is for the 1953 Pulitzer Prize winner, Picnic. So uh, take a listen to that. I love Jan's series. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's just really wonderful. Mm. So in our review section, Peter uh, got over to, uh, I think, 54 Below to see Pictures from Home. And uh, tell us what you thought about this new play. 54 Above, actually. Uh, It's actually in Studio 54. Yeah, Studio 54. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I said 54 Below. I did see that, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, as a result, this is a play by Shar White, though it's adapted from what is called a photo memoir by a gentleman named Larry Sultan. And in a way, it's a little confusing because we have Nathan Lane up there playing a father. We have Zoe Wanamaker playing a mother. And we have Danny Burstein playing their grown son. And we have pictures shown throughout the show of Larry Sultan's mother and father. Um, So 
they don't really look like Nathan Lane or Zoe Wanamaker, any of these pictures. And I understand why they would use the original pictures, but God, these, this era of technology, wouldn't it be fun to see pictures of um, Nathan Lane and Zoe Wanamaker um, aged down, made younger <laughs> and all that? I mean, so uh, it's a little disconcerting um, to see those pictures not jive with people who are on stage. So that was uh, odd to me. So Danny Burstein's been, um, character um, has been working on this project for eight years eight long years and it's driving his parents a little crazy especially nathan lane the father irving um he you're here every weekend no i'm not here every weekend i'm here a few weekends here and there but no you hear everyone they're really tired of him doing this and yet he just won't stop and they don't know if it's ever going to amount to something well we know it's going to amount to something because the memoir did get published though we might be a little surprised that it did get published because the pictures that we see are basically home movie type pictures. Um, they, uh, none galvanized me. Um, but you know, we all have our values. So maybe uh, they'll interest you more than they interested me. Um, again, what was happening is I was saying, why aren't they using, uh, pictures of Nathan and, and, um, Zoe Wanmaker? So, um, it's a, a perfectly throughable show. Um, it's perfectly decent, um, and uh, but I, I I wonder about this guy doing this. Um, there's a lot of talk about his home life. He has a wife. He has um, responsibilities, and um, he he doesn't seem to be involved with that very much we don't hear um anything from his wife we don't hear um any nervous phone calls of any significant nature so um so you come away wondering gee um was it really worth it now of course i guess it was in the sense that he got it published but i don't know if it sold nine copies or nine million i don't know um but and here i am criticizing td uh dt max for not doing his research but uh still uh i can't imagine that this picture book really became a classic and yet char white who's one of our finest playwrights certainly found it of interest um to do that um on a personal note i mean i do know uh danny reasonably well and it was pretty difficult to watch him up there at the end when he's talking about his parents' death, because as we all know, he went through a, a death not that long ago um, of uh, his wife, Rebecca Luca, who was near and dear to him for a long, long time. And at one point, his voice broke, and I wasn't sure if that was Danny's voice breaking or Larry's voice mm -hmm. breaking, but it was it was quite, quite moving to hear that. And um, my heart, once again, went out to him for his tremendous loss. Um, so so their um, reality and um, art did intersect, and um, I did find that tremendously moving. But the play itself, it's okay. It's okay. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that is Pictures from Home. Uh, and we'll have a link to that in the show note. Michael is scheduled to see it in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and so maybe we'll revisit it then. Michael, as you uh, teased earlier, you, uh, <laughs> you and Peter were at the Cleveland Awards. So uh, tell us more about this evening. Yes, the ceremony uh, for the 2023 Cleveland Prize for Musical Theater was held on Monday at uh, Seven World Trade Center, which actually was, uh, well, it's the offices of BMI. Uh, 
and I guess those must be that must be recent because the, the building itself is new. Uh, I don't know where they used to be located. Do you have any idea, Peter? Well, once upon a time on 57th Street, and then they yeah, moved. 57, uh, yeah, Yeah, but then they moved um, in the village, I think somewhere around 8th Street, somewhere around there. But oh, okay. This is, but um, this is the third move that I know of. Well, this was my actually my first time in any of the new World Trade Center buildings because uh, uh-huh. I just don't have any reason to go there. Sure. Uh, but uh, it was very nice, very nice offices, mm-hmm. and it was a wonderful event uh, honoring uh, the two honorees, the two award winners are Ryan Scott Oliver and Ethan Lipton, both of whom were present. Ethan Lipton um, sang two of his own songs a cappella. Uh, and also unplugged, but well, everyone was unplugged. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Ryan Scott Oliver, two of his songs, one was performed by Alex Brightman and the other by Lindsay Mendez. So it was really kind of nice to have people like that there, you know, mm-hmm. to perform. Um, and it was a wonderful event. Brian Stokes Mitchell spoke. And uh, as I mentioned, Richard Malpe was there and he spoke. Uh, and also, I got to sit next to Maury Yustin. <laughs> so I I took hold of my opportunity. <laughs> and I wouldn't say talked his ear off, but I, I first of all, I asked him about Titanic. There had been rumors that a production of Titanic um you know, that a revival of Titanic on Broadway was going to happen some years ago. I think uh, there was that production I saw down in DC at this, Mm -hmm. at the um, signature. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that apparently was the basis for another production. I keep forgetting. Was it Japan? Yeah, it was Korea, South Korea Mm -hmm. or Japan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then there was a rumor that some production, some, some, some form of that production was going to happen to Broadway, but then of course the pandemic happened. So that didn't happen. Anyway, I asked him, uh, I asked Mr. Yeston about Titanic and he said, um, well, it's being done everywhere. (laughs) 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 And I said, oh, oh, that's great. I said, but I, you know, I was wondering specifically about the, uh, Broadway revival, and he said no plans at the present. But he he uh, really teased me. He said um, that. How did he put it? And let me see if I can. He said um, a new production of Nine may happen on Broadway in the near future with a major star attached. And then he said, but I can't tell you anything else about that. <laughs> All right. So uh, what I asked what I asked him about was Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, he was doing a musical about Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, right. And, um, yeah. That the construction of that was really, really complicated because the um, architect, uh, designer, whatever, um, got seriously ill and his wife had to take over. So it is a very dramatic story. I've seen another musical um, uh, on this exact same subject by other people that was really, really good. I think it was done at Montclair State University. I only saw a video. Um, But anyway, he told me uh, we are going to do a recording as a cantata. So uh, you can look for that in the near future. So um, I guess it's going to be a a concept album type thing, hoping that it'll spur production. And uh, one more thing on the Cleveland Awards. I, I, got to speak with Lindsay Mendez as she was leaving. And I told her how much I enjoyed Merrily We Roll Along. And I also told her I had just come from literally uh, that afternoon seeing Jonathan Groff's new movie, Knock at the Cabin. And I asked her if she had seen it. And she said, no, uh, she hadn't seen it yet. And I said, you know, it was the number one movie in America (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. that weekend. And she said, yes, I'm, I'm so proud of Jonathan. 
And so I wrote to him and told him that, uh, that I had seen her and that she said she was so proud of him. And he wrote back, she is so full of shit. Oh my God. With a smiley, with a smiley face. All right. All right. Now we're talking. Okay. All right. (laughs) Oh, spilling tea all over the place here, aren't we? (laughs) So uh, that's it. I, I think it was I, a really I, nice I, event. I, so. I, I'd like to think their friendship is like the last scene of Merrily rather than the first one. Okay, I think oh, it is. Yeah, okay. I really think it is. <laughs> hey, old friend. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so, anything else to add about Cleveland? Uh, the Cleveland Awards. I, it's. It sounds like it's. Uh, it's chock full of goodness there. That's really wonderful. Uh, no, but actually, they did a live uh, stream of it, and I think that's still available. We'll yeah, see if yeah. we can find that. Uh, yeah, link I and send have, put uh, in the. I have uh, Angela Yamarone's. Uh, no, it's not Angela. It's uh, somebody else. Who do I have here? Oh, Brett Oberman's uh, release on this. So I right, have, and that I link, link is in there. The yeah. yeah, I have the link to yeah. the stream. So I'll put that in the show notes Great. as well. Great. So anybody can jump over there and check it out. All right. So, uh, Peter, you got over to Man- the Mineta Lane Theater um, and uh, saw a new play uh, called Lucy. So tell us about Lucy. Well, um, it, it's it's a, a pretty good play for most of the time, but I'm afraid that that our awareness of horror movies uh, hurts it a little. Okay, here's what I mean. This is about a, a woman who has a, a child named Lucy, and as a result, um, she is a working mother. Uh, she's a lawyer. She's a high-powered lady, and she needs a nanny. So uh, she's interviewing nannies and one comes in and uh, she hires her. However, I have to admit that it was very, very strange for me to see this hire because I wouldn't have hired this lady at all. She seemed very <laughs> flighty, very strange. And I don't know, you know, if you're in a job interview, do you come in and sit on the couch take off your shoes and put your feet on the couch. I, I, I see that as a strange type of warning sign that uh, something's wrong. She also seemed to be very flippity-jibbity. And so, um, so immediately I'm having problems with this. I will say uh, the credit must be given to Erica Schmidt, playwright and director, by the way, too, for little by little showing us um, how problematic this nanny is going to be one scene really builds on the uh the next and the next and the next. i mean it really is very very good to see this um woman uh mary um wonderfully played by brooke bloom um realizing little by little that this lady is really bonkers but we're ahead of her that's the problem um and i i, I maybe it's just the feet on the couch that really um discombobulated me but it seemed very very strange to me that a woman on a job interview would do that make herself at home that way so um so anyway little by little by little by little by little um you understand that this woman um is anywhere from incompetent to crazy the problem is as i say horror movies you know we're led to believe that this woman is really going to do something truly 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 terrible and she really doesn't 
Um, it ends with a real whimper. Mm. Um, it, 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 it doesn't have any real powerful Sako. You're waiting for some dramatic thing to happen. I mean, it's, it sounds terrible to say, um, that you want something terrible to happen either to, uh, Mary or, uh, the child, Lucy. Uh, a kid named Charlotte Shurek is very good in that role, by the way. But this doesn't mean I should, uh, overlook Lynn Collins, who plays Ashling. That's the name of the baby, uh, the nanny. So, uh, it, it just keeps on going and little by little by little by little, but you really want some knockout punch at the end. And the best this play can do is, um, not even a TKO, but more of a decision if we're going to keep the prize fight imagery going. Um, and I wish there were more decision made on the part of the playwright to find something that would made us gasp in horror. Uh, all we can do is get annoyed by this woman and, um, that's about it. Hmm. All right. So that is, uh, Lucy, a new play at Benetta Lane Theater. It's uh, playing through February 25th. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Michael, you uh, got a chance to see the one, the only Heather Headley in concert. Tell us about this. Yeah, Friday night at Carnegie Hall uh, with New York Pops. Really great. And I have to say, I uh, I want to make sure I phrase this properly. I was never that big a fan of hers before this evening. Uh, but I think that's primarily because, um, well, first of all, uh, her big first Splash was in Aida on Broadway, and I really do not like that show or that score at all. So that to me was a, you know, it was not something that I could really appreciate her in it in just because I did not like the material so much. Um, she was very good in that uh, concert of Dream Girls that they did many years ago. Um, I really loved her in that. That was the first time. Uh, that I thought, oh, she was really terrific. Um, and then, uh, but then I didn't see a lot of, uh, I mean, I didn't see the bodyguard, uh, which wasn't, you know, I mean, for obvious reasons. Uh, and anyway, uh, this concert was absolutely phenomenal. She was, she was just great in it. Uh, and her patter was, extremely charming and down to earth. And I think everyone in the audience absolutely adored being there with her. Um, there were so many highlights, uh, but maybe the best of all was she did a mashup of children will listen and no one is alone, but it was one of those mashups where <clears throat> it kept going back and forth from one song to the other it wasn't just one song and then into the other and then maybe back to the, the, the it was like several times and and it was really 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 very well done um arranged by ron colvard who apparently she she works with a lot and he did a stellar job on, on that and, and several other arrangements the program was amazing i'm just going to rattle it off over the rainbow from wizard of oz mm. can you feel the love tonight from the lion king um still hurting <laughs> from uh, from yeah yeah, yeah mm -hmm. a beautiful and which aside from how beautifully heather sang it that was the first time i heard it with a full orchestra 
Every time I've heard that song sure. has been with the sure. same little sure. string quartet sort of uh, uh, orchestration. And that's lovely, but it was amazing to hear it with a full, with a 70, 80 piece orchestra, however that big that is. Um, she did a song that I never made an impression on me before, My House from Matilda. Mm-hmm. Um, it gorgeous song. Um Written in the Stars. Uh, oh, here's another uh, little medley thing. Written in the Stars from Aida. Lost in the Stars from Lost in the Stars. Mm-hmm. And Hold On from The Secret Garden. Another one of my absolute all-time favorite show tunes. Um, River Deep Mountain High. We're into Act 2 now. River Deep Mountain High. Your song, Elton John, because uh, obviously she has a connection with him. Um, when She Loved Me from Toy Story 2. Her, uh, the taste shown <laughs> in, in the song choices for this concert was impeccable, aside from how great everything was done and, and how beautifully she sang and performed. Uh, um, oh, and then she had a guest artist named Chris Mann, who apparently has done Phantom all over, and he sang Music of the Night, and that was pretty great. And then together, the two of them uh, sang Because You Need Me, uh, and which is a song that they wrote together, Heather and Chris, along with um, Keith Thomas and Liz Rose, and then Amazing Grace, uh, and then I Wish, uh, another song that that Heather and uh, Heather wrote with Keith Thomas and Eric Headley Jr. Um, I forget if that's her son. <laughs> um, and uh, the f- well, the the finale for the program proper was for good from Wicked with Heather with the chorus. They also brought a chorus in um, for much of Act Two, so there was a lot that extra bell and whistle and. Um, it was just an amazing. Oh, and I have to mention at one point, she really um, spent a lot of time in her patter saying how honored she was and thrilled she was to to sing at Carnegie Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really uh, love the fact that she has so much respect for the venue. And she took the opportunity to sing a little bit uh, without a mic. She stepped away from the mic and she sang a, a little bit of a spiritual and it was thrilling. You could hear you could hear her voice carry beautifully, uh, and I was in the very, 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 very rear of the orchestra, um, which is, I think, maybe about the worst place to sit for the, the sound carrying. Uh, but it was it was just a, a very special moment, uh, and I thought of how Barbara Cook uh, used to do that, and people who can do it. Um, <laughs> you know, if they can do it, uh, they tend to do it because it's so, so nice to hear the unamplified human voice in a call that was built for that and has legendary acoustics. So it was a, just a, just a, an unforgettable evening. And I, and I do have a, a, a newfound, greatly, uh, improved, uh, uh, respect for her because of, how how wonderfully she performed and also her taste in choosing some of the greatest songs <laughs> ever written really it was just amazing. you know um i i uh i sat with her and her family 
at the Tony banquet, uh, the, the oh. year she won, the oh. year she won for Aida. And it was just, it's always so wonderful to see people as people, um, as opposed to stars. I mean, the family was relating to her, uh, as, you know, daughter, sister, whatever. And it, it was just so nice to see that. And uh, I, I love when that happens. And, um, it reminded me too, when I sat behind, uh, the Lapone family, uh, the night that, um, Patty won the uh, Tony for Avita. And I mean, it was just so great to see this family react, you know, with such love f- for uh, their daughter, sister, whatever. Um, it was just so wonderful to see the human factor there. I remember talking to Joyce Van Patten once and she referred to Dickie, her brother. I mean, he's Dick Van Patten to us, but to her, she's, he's <laughs> Dickie. So these family dynamics, they're so wonderful to see because we never think about in terms of the family and what it's that they're just brother, sister, daughter, husband, whatever. And it's just very nice to see that. And it was really great to uh, have that wonderful feeling at that table that night with Heather Headley and company. Well, and now since then, she has a whole new family, her own family with her husband and her Mm -hmm. three children. Mm -hmm. And she Mm -hmm. seems very, very family oriented. She talked about them a lot and told lots of Uh, stories and she got lots of laughs. uh uh (laughs) All right. So that's Heather Headley at Carnegie Hall with the New York Pops. Uh, it seems that it was only a one night only type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to get ahead She'll of the be pops back. thing. She'll be yeah, back. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, next up, Peter, you headed over to, uh, 25th street, just east of fifth Avenue, right in your new hood, sort of, <laughs> sort right of. your new neighborhood, <laughs> uh, about 10 blocks up or so. Walked all the way. <laughs> <laughs> These days we can. We've had such a yeah, winter. You know, we, we talked about last week, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, about two weeks ago, we had some extremely cold weather, but no snow or anything here in New York. And it really hit the Broadway grosses hard last week. So this has been a pretty mild uh week that has just passed us the last seven days so i wonder if the uh the um the uh grosses will rebound a little bit but we'll have to see it it's still you know even though it's still mild it is still february and we don't have a lot of tourists here in in manhattan these uh these days but we're getting back into the march and april uh broadway openings will be coming soon so i'd imagine uh we'll have better grosses uh pretty soon but other than the grosses, you got up to 25th Street to see Othello at the New Place Players. So tell us about this. Um, this was my 14th production of Othello <laughs> over many, many decades. And I think it's the one that I've enjoyed the most. For one thing, we're in um, Casa Clara, which is a, a room. It's uh, not much more than a room. And as a result, uh, there are dining room chairs, so to speak, on each side of uh, the room. And uh, so you can be very close to the action, very close. There are other seats, too. <clears throat> Think of a thrust stage in the center section, so to speak. That's there, too. But get there early so you can get a seat that's very close to the action. Because <clears throat> it really helps tremendously to uh, 
to see and hear and all that goes with that. But I'm telling you, the immediacy was so wonderful. I really enjoyed that amazingly. Of course, that only goes so far if you don't have good people, but they do have good people, very good people indeed. Um, Connor Andrew Hall was Iago. And, you know, there are so many times Iago's are so easy to see through. And this guy, if you didn't know the play, and of course I did, but he would have kept you guessing. And that was really good. You know, the fact that um, you could understand why Othello would believe him uh, when he he was certainly um, fibbing. So, um, of course, any production of Othello is going to be uh, judged on as Othello. And Elliot Johnson is very, very fine, very human. That's the best thing about him. So human. There was no artifice about him whatsoever. He really seemed to be this guy. And, um, of course, that's the goal of every actor. But he really succeeded there. Uh, Desdemona. Alana Allen, wonderful, very, very accomplished, very secure in what she was doing, but so was the entire cast. I really have to give credit to the director, Makina Massenheimer is her name, uh, maybe McKenna, I don't know, M-A-K-E-N-N-A, but uh, she really did a superb job in using this space. There are two balconies, uh, which she used very nicely, not where you could sit, where actors could be, and she used it very, very nicely, And but I'm telling you, the interaction with these people. I really enjoyed Nathan Krasner as Roderigo. I certainly enjoyed Matthew Dudley as Brabantio. Uh, I really think if you're going to see Othello, now's the time to go uh, at this tiny, tiny place. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's a charming room for its own sake. It, it was a foundry once. It's decorated with marvelous things on the wall, so you have plenty to look at at intermission. There is one. Um, yes, the show is almost three hours, but that's Othello for you. You know that before you go in. So, But I was never bored for a tenth of a second. I was riveted. I was paying attention every moment. I really, really, really came away thinking, yeah. This is the best of the 14 productions I've seen. Now, granted, I didn't see Laurence Olivier, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying I saw any of the, the tremendously famous, uh, illustrious productions of yore. Um, but nevertheless, you know, since the 70s, 14, and they add up. So this is the one I like the best. Wow. So that is uh, saying something. This Othello uh, playing down at Casa Clara on... 18 East 25th Street is running through February 25th, so you have about two weeks or so to keep catching it. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Michael, you got over to Birdland to see our friend Melissa Errico. So tell us, how is Melissa's show noir doing these days? It was fantastic. It was just last night, and I've been really lucky this week. Yeah, it's been a good week, guys. <laughs> Uh, just really seeing some wonderful stuff. This uh, I went with my friend Kevin McInerney, and he said it was one of the best shows he's ever seen in his life. Uh, I mean, he loves her to begin with, as do I. Uh, but the show uh, itself was just so beautifully put together. This was basically uh, to celebrate her album, her recent album, which I've raved about previously, uh, Melissa Errico, Out of the Dark, the Film Noir Project. And um it's notable not only for her gorgeous voice and her beautiful appearance but also these phenomenal amazing arrangements by ted firth uh her musical director pianist and she had um on this occasion this was in the downstairs theater at birdland which um in some ways i almost prefer to the upstairs space it's a really really nice space um and she'd had 
Ted Firth at the piano, and then she also had bass, uh, drums, guitar, and this phenomenal fellow named David Mann on saxophone. And that added so much to the evening. He was just incredible. Uh, the highlights of the album and the show are such songs as Angel Eyes, uh, with every breath I take, which I know I've mentioned before, the Cy Coleman, David Zippel song, f- incredible song from City of Angels. Uh, Sooner or later from Dick Tracy uh, by Sondheim, which Melissa performed um, with a ukulele <laughs> playing, accompanying herself. Uh, she had a little trouble with it, but she made fun of herself. So that was mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> and then uh, Ted came in on piano as well. And um, some other highlights. The Gentleman is a Dope from Allegro, mm-hmm. uh, which sh- the performance and the and the arrangement made you think, gee, this is a really terrific song. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, not the, maybe that, not maybe the first song that pops into mind, you know, when you think of Rodgers and Hammerstein's greatest hits, but it really came over very, very well. Uh, Blame It on My Youth. Uh, is another song, and she she really sang almost everything that's that's on the album. Uh, what am I leaving out? Uh, um, oh, Laura, that beautiful song mm-hmm. from the, this film, mm-hmm. and Farewell, My Lovely. Yeah, uh, really terrific. The album is produced by Kurt Deutsch, um, our friend, and mm-hmm. uh, but this show. Uh, and it's part of a run, so check the uh, uh, James. Did you say you looked up the uh, the schedule? Yeah, uh, she's at Birdland February tenth to the fourteenth. Uh, so we only have a, a day or two left of that. So Monday and Tuesday, it looks like. Yeah, you do have. So you do have, uh, and probably tonight as well. Uh, it does seem like yes tonight. Yeah. So you, yeah. So if you can get there, and again. Um, not terribly expensive, Birdland. Really, you know, when you think of the quality of performer that you're getting, and and the uh, and and everything else, the the arrangements and the world class musicians, and when you compare it to the price of a Broadway uh, ticket, yes, of course, you're seeing fewer people, and the shows are not as long. But I, you know, I, I don't know if that's those are the two main the two main things that 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 we look for in, in a show. Uh, I, I, I'm a really, really big fan of these shows that, that are done at Birdland and 54 below and the green room 42. And, and if, if they're not on your radar by now, really uh, check them out. You won't be sorry. You know, I think Melissa Erico may have set a record of sorts. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, with the Lucille Lotel Awards, because uh, I, I, you, you are a nominator for five years, and then they rotate you off, and then they might bring you back. And I wasn't on the committee the year that uh, she was nominated and won, I believe. Yeah, I think she won for um, One Touch of Venus at Encores. Now, the thing is, um, off-Broadway runs are what are considered uh, for the Lucille Hotel Awards, and yet there seemed to be an exception because people loved uh, her so much in One Touch of Venus that they said, we, we just have to nominate her and, and uh, essentially um, abandon the rules uh, wow. that they had because it was just such a mesmerizing performance. So, uh, So that's quite a tribute to her. 
Um, and speaking of Allegro, which isn't done very often, uh, if you go to Western Connecticut State University, um, not that far away um, in Danbury, Connecticut, at the end of the month and the beginning of next month, you'll be able to see Allegro. They're doing it uh, there. So um, by all means, consider going out to uh, Western Connecticut State University. Very nice, very nice theater. And um, I, I'm looking forward to going myself. I'll be there on uh, March 3rd, and uh, I expect to enjoy myself immeasurably. All right. So the thing about Melissa Errico is that it is <laughs> uh, playing here February 10th through the 14th, which doesn't give a lot of people time. But she's going to be at uh, Feinstein's at the Nico in San Francisco on March 10th and 11th. She's going to do a program called No One is Alone. Melissa Errico remembers Stephen Sondheim on May 4th in Palm Springs, so mm. out in California. Uh, she's going to do an evening of M Michel Legrand and Stephen Sondheim in Burlington, Iowa on May 6th. On May 20th, she's going to be in Binghamton, New York, so a little upstate New York action. So there's plenty of places to get to see Melissa. So get over to her website. I'll have a link to that in the show notes so you can check out that as well. You know, uh, when we prep these shows, uh, we um, talk about it a little bit before we start recording, and we missed this morning Burt Bacharach. Oh, yeah. So we yeah. should talk a little bit about Burt Bacharach. He uh, composed it. Uh, passed away at the age of 94 this week. So, Peter, how, what, are you, what are your thoughts about Bert? Well, you know, at least he gave us one musical. I mean, <laughs> uh, people of his generation, uh, Neil Hefty didn't, uh, Billy Joel hasn't, uh, Bruce Springsteen hasn't, you know, but, but he did in 1968 uh, when he and Hal David, his longtime collaborator, did Promises, Promises, which turned out to be the longest-running musical of the 68-69 season. Now, that was... There was no question in anybody's mind that was going to win the Tony that year. It opened in December, and the Tonys weren't going to be till March, um, and so uh, maybe April, whenever it was. But uh, it wasn't June in those days, but it was um, around that time. And so there was no doubt that Promises, Promises was going to sweep everything until the night before the Tony nominations were to conclude. There was 1776 um, rearing its magnificent head. So, so it didn't win. But what was really criminal was there were only a couple of years when um, they decided decided not to give a best score award that um, if you won best musical, therefore you would get the award um, as a composer and or lyricist. So um, I have no doubt that if indeed there were a best score award that year, that Burt Bacharach and Hal David would have won it for Promises, Promises. And um, it really is such a magnificent score. Now, the show doesn't particularly hold up because it deals with um, hijinks, let's put it nicely, in the business arena. And so that's why the revival some years ago didn't do well. But the score still is terrific, just wonderful. Um, it, all those quirky... Um, syncopated thing i mean uh, tricky lurky time is in um seven eight music um that that time signature you don't run into that time signature all that often but uh but nevertheless there it was and uh, i remember so vividly being at the tryout at the colonial theater in boston in october of 68 and opening up that playbill and saying these songs sound so bizarre. I mean, really, half as big as life. She likes basketball, turkey lurky time. A fact can be a beautiful thing. 
hot soup that didn't that wasn't even in the they had thrown it out by uh, the time i saw the show but they were such odd titles and now they seem so natural to us because we've heard them and the melodies are so terrific so it's funny if you watch the movie the apartment you will find that so many of the songs aren't right for what that movie is but the decisions they made to make it more of a musical comedy was very very smart anyway i've often heard that the reason backrack didn't continue writing musicals because he felt he didn't have as much control as he did in the studio Mm. some people say he was working for david merrick which had brought its own series of problems and he (laughs) you know he was used to being the boss and so that was a problem too but really uh, when you talk about people who have a composing style unlike anybody else, uh, Burt Bacharach qualifies. And not only that, um, so many composers have imitators. I don't think Burt Bacharach did because I don't think he was easy to imitate at all. Hmm. Michael, any thoughts about Burt Bacharach? Well, the first two Broadway musicals I saw, and I can't 100% remember the order, but I'm pretty sure that the first one was Hello, Dolly with Ethel Merman. And the second one was Promises, Promises, which I saw uh, towards the end of the run, not with uh, the original cast. But I did see the original production and I it was quite, uh, you know, especially in retrospect, it was quite amazing uh, to have those two really presenting one representing the old guard I suppose, of traditional mm-hmm. Broadway uh, musical theater writing. And then this very, very new sound, as Peter mentioned, that Burt Bacharach brought to it. Uh, I mean, of course, there had already been hair, but that's kind of a, sep- a third style. Uh, mm-hmm. So we won't talk mm-hmm. about that for the mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, uh, Promises was famous as, uh, among other things, for having for the way that it was amplified um i believe that there were uh head mics body mics and also the orchestra was amplified and also covered uh with like plexiglass or as i recall uh in the way that uh orchestras you know sometimes are covered in a studio uh it it really seemed like he was going for a, a studio kind of a sound uh because that's what what he was used to and that was a a sea change on broadway um and and some people actually might lament it because there were other things that started to happen then when the orchestra was amplified uh because then orchestra started to be uh become smaller and smaller and hidden away and sometimes not in the same space sometimes in another building uh, you know or up on the mm-hmm. roof uh, so that's what all that led to i'm afraid but but, <laughs> uh, but at the t- you know but he didn't do it that way uh, and and so i thought it was great it was really thrilling to hear that sound of that orchestra and those singers and promises promises and i'm so glad that I saw the original production. Um, parenthetically, I've heard the same thing that Peter heard with that was that uh, Mr. Bacharach was unhappy that he couldn't control the sound of the show from one night to the next, you know, eight performances a week for three or four years or whatever. Uh, so that may have been part of it, but also uh, someone mentioned that uh, he understandably was extremely depressed by the reception of the film musical lost horizon 
Uh, and even though it wasn't a stage musical, it was still a musical. And I would not be surprised if that contributed to his decision not to ever try to write another musical again until quite recently, I believe, when he was working with Stephen Sater on a project. And it will be very interesting to see if any of that ever comes to light. Um, in terms of Lost Horizon, I'm not ashamed to say that uh, while the movie stinks, I <laughs> think the score is wonderful. I like those songs immeasurably. Yeah, I can't agree with that. But <laughs> yeah, very few people do. Yeah, I, I, this is there is one report, one beautiful song in it called "Share the Joy." Uh huh. I really think it's a beautiful song. Hmm. So, uh, uh, something else that we. Uh, would like to talk about is that there was a piece in Playbill about uh, audience behavior this week uh, that uh, we've touched on here and there uh, for the last couple of years, but uh, it was compiled into a really wonderful article written by Margaret Hall on Playbill on February 8th. And uh, it started a lot of discussion online. So, Peter and Michael, what's your takes on audience behavior these days? Well, I'll say that um, whenever I go to the theater, the audience is very well behaved because whatever you want to say about critics, we know how to behave at the theater. You know? <laughs> so, um, but then every now and then we go back to see a show later in the run. And mm. I'm often appalled at what I'm seeing in terms of audience behavior. So the article rang very true to me. And it's also written by one of our brightest young minds, Margaret Hall. I mean, she is a terrifically smart person when it comes to theater. And um, we're going to hear a lot about her in the, in the years to come. I guarantee you that. And um, I think she's only about 24, 25 years old and yet very accomplished. So um, I believe what she tells me. And um, I do believe that um, what she said, as, as horrible as the sound, the way people are treating ushers. But I wonder if some of this has to do with a sense that when you pay all this money, you have this strange sense of entitlement. I wonder if, if that's really part of the problem. Mm -hmm. I, I, a theory, that's all. Nothing more than that. I'm not insisting I'm right. But I, I just wonder if that's it. So I'm sure that that is a, a good part of the problem, Peter. And then in addition to that, it's it's really quite sad. I mean, there used to be a social contract of how yep, people would behave right. at the theater. And for a number of reasons, it seems to be disappearing. Uh, several people have pointed out it probably it was really a really bad idea to sell alcohol in a the theater mm. and and especially to allow people to bring drinks to their seats. Mm. I mean, you know, yeah, if you don't fast. allow that, how much can a person drink before, mm -hmm. you know, or into or during intermission? Probably not enough to get so tanked that they're going to start <laughs> behaving like an idiot. Uh, so maybe they really should. Could, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine they would ever agree to stop selling alcohol. I'm sure it's very profitable. <laughs> but they probably should. They probably should do it for the benefit of what we're talking about now, audience behavior. And then, yes, I think that the the, the, uh, the amount of money that people are paying does make them feel entitled. Of course, they're not because everyone is entitled to enjoy a show without people talking or singing along or mm -hmm. using their cell phones or mm -hmm. doing whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was really... Uh, happy to read that article in the sense that uh, I thought it was a terrific job of investigative reporting mm -hmm. that Margaret Hall did. And, and very unlike anything that that Playbill 
has ever printed actually now that i come to think of it uh mm -hmm. uh because they you know i mean they're for obvious reasons they they uh, usually position themselves as just a, a cheerleader you know mm -hmm. for, for broadway mm -hmm. with nothing negative uh to be found anywhere and that's fine considering you know i mean who they are and and why they exist and and there are other venue you know other outlets to to do investigative reporting but i was really happy to see that this appeared and very a little shocked when it, apparently it was taken down and is no longer accessible through playbill itself i think you can find it mm -hmm. on you google docs it. yeah yeah hmm. Still yeah so the uh article did disappear a couple of days after it was written but uh, it was already was in uh on all over social media lots of folks inside and outside of the business talking about how important this article is and and for someone to start to address these type of things uh front of house staff is taking a lot of abuse all the way from box office through rushers through house management and and needless like to say that. these people are not making a fortune in salary right right yeah exactly so uh uh you know uh, i'm interested to see if this uh conversation does move forward either yes. through the league and through equity and through the various uh major theater owners and we'll see what happens there we will uh, quickly, for the last couple of things here, Michael, you're going to head over to NYU to see a production of Pippin. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I just found out that it's happening, and I think that tomorrow is the last performance, and that's the mm -hmm. one I'm going to. I, I don't know if tickets are still available, but you can – if you can find it's very difficult to find out information <laughs> about yeah. shows that they do there. I, I may have mentioned that before. It's I, I actually spoke to someone there once and they said something about how we have a contract that says we can't publicize when oh, we do show. Oh, that's yeah. why. That's well, uh, I'm on the NYU website and the cost of the tickets are Five dollars, ten dollars, and twenty dollars. Exactly, ticket. exactly. So, <laughs> so my goodness, you know, well, five dollars uh, is for seniors, uh, and maybe somebody <laughs> else, but uh, we should mention that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it, it's not a misprint. No, it's not a misprint. The, the Frederick Lowe Theater on Thirty Five West Fourth Street. Uh, have a link to the uh, R the Steinhardt uh, NYU website where you can check out, see if you can get tickets. There is a show today, February 12th at 3 p.m. and a show February 13th, Monday night at 8 p.m. So uh, hopefully... It's always great how they do those Monday night shows because, of course, Monday is a night when most of us aren't doing anything, so it does give us a chance to go. They I think they can sit... I think they consider them industry nights. I think they even maybe call them that. Oh, is that right? Uh, yeah. I I used to have classes in that theater, and I've even performed on that stage. All so right. It's fun for me to go back there. <laughs> Favorite roles include? <laughs> oh, it wasn't. No, it wasn't those kind of uh, roles. Not not mm -hmm. not full musicals. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Mondays and Tuesdays, last Monday and Tuesday at Fifty Four Below, there was a. Pippin concert, speaking of Pippin. Right. Uh, and it was the 50th anniversary, original Broadway cast reunion concert, uh, put together by our friend Walter Willison and, and Michael Levine. And uh, uh, 
from uh, I don't think either one of you had seen it. Did you no, go to it? No, no? I, I, uh, it was streamed though. It was streamed, but uh, from all accounts, it was a, a, a tremendous, tremendous success. Mm-hmm. So, so excited that uh, Walter got the chance to put that together for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And finally, for this morning, we're going to get a chance to see Dear World, aren't we? Yep. So, City Center Encores uh, is going to do a production of Dear World, which we haven't seen on Broadway since 1969. So, uh, that's Can you uh, mention the dates? Because I don't have them uh, at my hand. Uh, Dear World dates are I, March I 15th to the 19th. Right. I'm going on the 17th. 15th um, to the 19th mm-hmm. at uh, City Center Encores. Yeah. So, yeah. Donna Murphy is she- very right for that part. She'll be excellent. Yeah. If you email the press rep at City Center 15 or 20 times between now and then, you still won't get a reply. Oh, that's <laughs> so, true. Yeah, so I'm being taken true. by somebody, uh, so uh, otherwise I wouldn't be going. Yeah. Well, uh, I feel like I'm being taken by somebody because he doesn't reply to me. Oh, I know. Believe, so. believe me, I show you pain. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap up for today. Before we get on to trivia and the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com and hitting the subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. You can support us by subscribing to us and Patreon. Patreon listeners get This Week on Broadway on Sunday afternoon before it's released to the general public on Sunday evening. You can also hear us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Tuner, Stitch, and Google Play. Anywhere that you get finer podcasts, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Uh, contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today, including that uh, Leah Michelle interview on The Daily Show. You can watch with uh, Chelsea Handler. I think it is with her. So, Peter, do we have an answer to last week's trivia? What do these plays have in common? God of Carnage, The Milk Train Doesn't Stop Here Anymore, The Soldier's Play, Sexual Perversity in Chicago, and The Time of the Cuckoo. Well, all of them had different titles when they were filmed. Carnage was the new title. Boom was Milk Hmm. Train, A Soldier's Story. We can understand why A Soldier's Play wouldn't play. About Last Night, two movies of sexual perversity in Chicago, one black, one white, and The Time of the Cuckoo became Summertime. So that was the answer to the question. And it seemed like old times with Tony Janicki answering first and Paul Witte just six minutes behind. <laughs> then came Mike Iwanis, Sean Logan, Brigadoo, Juliet Green, Jack Leshner, Mike Meany, and Josh Israel. This week's question. In 2022, as he was going to his audition in hopes of landing a certain role in an upcoming Broadway revival, this performer who has a Roman numeral after his name, (laughs) might well have been singing a famous song from a 1920s musical. Who is he? What's the revival for which he auditioned and got? What's the song that would have been apt for him to sing? And from what musical does it come? Okay. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment. Well, I uh, forgot to mention uh, that yesterday I went to the Argyle Theater in Mm. Babylon to see 
their wonderful new production of West Side Story. And I'll talk about that more next week because I don't want to give it short shrift. And they have a, a healthy run, so uh, you'll still have time to see it. But just so you're aware of that production is happening now. And it made me think of, uh, again, about news that had come earlier in the week that Gustavo Dudamel will be the new uh, music director of the New York Philharmonic beginning in 2026, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he uh, is, this is just thrilling, thrilling news for 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 all New Yorkers (laughs) and for the orchestra, because he's acknowledged as really, really, really brilliant. And um, he, among other things, conducted the score for the Steven Spielberg film of West Side Story, mostly with the New York Philharmonic. And then I think um, with the Los Angeles Philharmonic, of which he's currently the music director, uh, just for a few uh, sections where I think they uh, they played because it had to do with uh, COVID, I think. Uh, but it's mostly the New York Philharmonic. And that um, the score sounds really terrific on that soundtrack if you haven't seen the movie or heard the album. So I should just pick that up. But also, um, uh, Dudamel is probably most famous for an incredible video of him conducting the Simon Bolivar Symphony Orchestra and the Mambo from West Side Story, from the Dance of the Gym. Uh, and this was a performance in 2012. And it the video now has at currently 1.7 million views. Uh, so we're including the uh, the link to the YouTube video uh, in, in the show notes. So you can click on that and maybe we'll all collectively move it up to 1.8 million. <laughs> uh, but also uh, I wanted to feature... Um, that this the the audio of that as our closing uh piece because it's just it's just phenomenal but but try to watch the uh the video as well because it's it's an it's it's thrilling that the uh it starts out as just a normal performance i guess but really really high energy and then the you can see these young people in the orchestra start they start like dancing while they're playing <laughs> it's and the and the the audience goes crazy and everyone yells mambo together and it's 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 it just does your heart good uh, you know about what music can do to make people exciting um and our opener uh for today is the blues section of the uh, Dance of the Gym from West Side Story as recorded by Gustavo Dudamel and the New York Philharmonic for the soundtrack of the Steven Spielberg film version of West Side Story. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.